your innards cause there's a bang in every bottle. Welcome back to Appod Latcha. My name is Chuck Core and I'm joined by my great co-host, the Emperor of the 18 Husky himself, Iceman Big John Eisner. Speaking of Iceman basketball, have you watched The Last Dance? Yes, it is. It's great, but I do have one problem with it, and that's the fact that my eighth grade highlights aren't in it. Well, and I think that's fair. Uh, It is called The Last Dance, and one would presume that you still have some juice left in the tank from basketball in eighth grade. I think... I think I could still go. I mean, you know, they always call me, you know, kind of like LeBron's brother. Yeah, if they is anyone besides yourself, that's impressive. Uh, But speaking (laughs) of that, as long as you follow the fucking guidelines, John, you'll be just fine. (laughs) That's right. We're going to get started with our Appalachians of the Week right off the bat here. And it is, John, we were talking about this earlier. We've come full circle on this show. Governor Jim Justice of the great state of West Virginia <laughs> has been beefed with Big John multiple times. Multiple. Um, he's been multiple. He's been he's actually since... he's actually the only two time recipient of beef with Big John. An honor that I'm sure he holds dear to his heart, <laughs> uh, like he should. He's also been, I think, lauded somewhat in previous episodes, but this is the highest honor aside from beef with Big John that we've bestowed upon him. So we're right. full circle here. John, we're going to play the clip. Again, I encourage all businesses that are allowed to open to do so only if they can follow the guidelines to keep West Virginia safe. Can you just, just tell us what Big Jim said and give us the context? So imagine this. Big Jim, he sends out a press release. He says, 1230, press conference, be there. So everybody's like, what is this press conference about? Now, if you're not from West Virginia, you may not know that Jim Justice loves his press conferences. He will have he will have a, a press conference to tell you what he had for breakfast. He loves them. He loves the theatrics. Oh, too. He, God. he literally bought he literally brought like bulls shit on a silver platter one time, right? To talk about a budget. Oh, issue. he's done that. He loves whiteboards. And uh, when I went to the state of the state, he brought Shaq on. I mean, come on. This guy loves... Shaquille O'Neal? Yes. Shaquille, Shaquille O'Neal. No joke. Shaquille O'Neal, on, he was on video saying how much he loved Big Jim Justice and how he was a huge supporter of him. That's, a, that's disappointing from the star of Kazam, but go on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyway, Jim Justice reading his lines that his staff has... Uh, very well thought out, uh, even though he likes to go off script. And did he go off script this time, Chuck? <laughs> so Jim is reading his lines. He's actually looking down at the paper. So he has no excuse that he read the wrong thing. And I also would wonder why this word was on the script anyway. He <laughs> he said, if they fought, if they... <laughs> I can't even say, if they, fu- <laughs> if they fucking follow the guidelines... And this was right. This was about a phase one reopening of the of the state, correct? Right. Like how how are we gonna get to reopening? Right. And so the way we learned of how to get to reopening is if we just follow the fucking guidelines. <laughs> that I've been saying that this whole time. 
So, John, one thing that doesn't come across in the audio, which you reference, is that he looks up from his prepared from his prepared remarks. He looks up straight at the camera like like he's saying to himself, I'm going to fucking do it. I'm going to fucking do it. He lets the F-bomb rip out like the shot out of the Mountaineer musket on game day. <laughs> it's the, I mean, to be fair, it's the fuck heard around the world. <laughs> it is and no doubt the hollers of west virginia made it echo so much i love it i love it now i can't i can't lie chuck i do i do have to say that uh i'm i was really on board with jim justice winning this prestigious honor this week but Jim, just actually a couple minutes before we recorded this, released about a 15-second video saying that he's never said that word. Uh, he, he didn't say it this time. He's never said that word in his entire life. You're telling me that there's a basketball coach on this planet who has never said that word. You're telling me there's a politician on this planet that's never yeah, said that word. Yeah, I I just don't believe it. I look, I actually think that that clip made it even better because it's like when like the kid <laughs> it validates it, it. Does, but it's like when the kid gets caught like hand in the cookie jar with chocolate smeared on his face. He's like, I, I, I didn't eat the cookie. I didn't eat the cookie. Definitely <laughs> didn't eat the cookie. Why would you think I ate the cookie? I've never eaten a cookie in my life. I've been there. I understand that <laughs> that kid's feelings. I, I understand the feelings of reaching your hand into a cookie jar only to find that there are no cookies left because you ate all of them. Been I there. know that very well. Been Mine there. Was brown- My vice, though, was brownie bites, but we won't get into that. Uh, so, <laughs> so Jim Justice, Appalachian of the Week for letting it rip. And, John, we always talk on this show. We just want politicians to be honest. That's all we ask for. It's not, it's not a big ask, but it seems like it because politicians are hardly ever honest. But, you know... I think we do have to commend Jim here because he was being honest. He let it rip and just said, just fucking follow the guidelines. (laughs) Ah, beautiful, beautiful. I love it. Well, congratulations, Governor Big Jim, because uh, uh, that's a true accomplishment. He's this is sort of like the EGOT of Applied Latcher World, the uh, the Emmy, Grammy, Oscar, Tony, so to speak. But anyway, let's maybe let's get into what we're talking about today, and it's not just about Big Jim dropping the fuck word. It's about stereotypes, and John, we've talked about them before. In fact, one of our first episodes we did was on Appalachian stereotypes, because unfortunately there's so many, and we have a lot to say about them. And so what we are doing now, now that we're a little bit more skilled in this podcast-making art, and more importantly, now that our audio has heavily improved... At least I'd like to think it has. We are doing some more episodes on Appalachian stereotypes because we've got such a good reception for them the last time we talked about them. And this time we're going with individual ones. And so we're going to have some of these episodes periodically where we'll talk about some of these stereotypes and break them down for you. And today we're going to talk about one of the stereotypes that I think bugs a lot of us, but that has a lot to it. And it's that all Appalachians are a bunch of toothless hillbillies, toothless being the key word, and more specifically, that we all have Mountain Dew mouth or meth mouth. John, do you care to explain a little bit about those? Sure. Um, meth mouth, I think most people know about. It's essentially the one of the side effects that people have whenever 
they do meth. It's their teeth fall out. They rot. They end up having pretty messed up teeth. Well, something that people may not know about or may not think about is Mountain Dew mouth, which essentially looks the same as meth mouth, but is caused by drinking too much Mountain Dew or having too many, you know, very sugary beverages. So we're, we're going to talk generally about those uh, and, and how they relate to Appalachia. It's a huge stereotype. I think toothless in general is they always say we're toothless with no shoes, but one that's more ingrained and more inflammatory and just just really paints a poor picture of Appalachia is the Mountain Dew mouth, meth mouth type deal. Like John mentioned, the two really look alike, so we're going to kind of couch them in similar terms throughout this discussion. But to start, we're going to break it down about Mountain Dew mouth. And I actually thought that the little bit of a history lesson is actually pretty interesting and, and might be helpful context. So, John, did you know that Mountain Dew actually was started in Appalachia? No. I didn't either. In fact, so when I started looking at this, I realized that's kind of an interesting connection and may lend credit to like why it's so ingrained in Appalachian culture, I guess. So Mountain Dew is a centuries-old mountain slang term for moonshine, which Tennessee bread creators Barney and Allie Hartman found fitting because their bubbly elixir was initially crafted as a mixer for whiskey in the early 1930s. And they started this in Knoxville, Tennessee. And so... That that little bit of backdrop there is important because it is an Appalachian-born creation. So the term Mountain Dew Mouth, though, I when I looked this up, a lot of people were saying that it was originally coined in the 2009 uh, Diane Sawyer special, Children of the Mountains, where she went into Appalachia and, and did all this reporting and whatnot. I, and I think that's probably where the term became mainstream. However... I would assume that it existed far before 2009. But yeah, as, as John mentioned, Mountain Dew Mouth refers to the rampant tooth decay that was present in, in people who have been presumably drinking a lot of Mountain Dew or other carbonated sugary drinks. And John, do you recall just the stereotype in general growing up about Mountain Dew Mouth and about being toothless? Uh, I remember it outside of the state more than more than inside so anytime i went anywhere yeah i do too. i remember a specific um incident and i think <laughs> i feel like i referenced the same event in the last stereotype episode but it just it's kind of where they all sort of came to fruition where i was at this event it was in um i want to say like the dc area i'm not really sure where but there's people from all throughout like that region, a lot of people from New York, a lot of people from Philadelphia, and and they were so surprised to learn that I was from West Virginia and they're like, Oh my god, you've got like full set of teeth and wow, you've got braces too. That's uh that's really impressive. You know, we didn't think that you would have that. Which to me was really shocking because I, I never really thought that people took these stereotypes seriously. It, I thought it was just some joke that was made up but nobody actually believed it. I mean, was that your experience too? Yeah, I think uh, for me it was, I don't know, I I never took it seriously. I I did think it was kind of a joke that adults, you know, mostly talked about to each other and, and kind of, you know, gave back and forth sarcasm. I just assumed it was something like that. 
Yeah, I did too. And I was just, you know, again, I was shocked that people actually believed that was the case. But, and that's, you know, that's part of why this stereotype is so harmful, both because it paints a poor picture of Appalachia as this poor, decrepit place where people can't take care of themselves, but also because people are actually believing this. And so the claim here that we're going to dispute and refute and shine a different light on is that all us Appalachians do is we drink Mountain Dew and we have poor oral hygiene, and that's why we're we have our teeth falling out. So, and there's this like all these writings about like oh well you know these Appalachian people they put the Mountain Dew in the baby bottles and bottle feed it to children, and that's why all the kids don't have good teeth. Which I'm sure that that has happened at some point in an isolated incident, but. I have not in my life seen anything like that, nor could I find any data to back that up. John, could you find any? No. <laughs> there turns that's out right. that's not that's not a, a a big research topic. Well, unfortunate as it may be, that's true. But what it is a research topic, Mountain Dew Mouth, and so I found some really interesting takes on this, some very disappointing takes, in fact. One was from the Stanford University Scope blog. So Stanford University, you would hope that, you know, they would come up with some good takes here, but the, uh, the title of this article was Mountain Dew Mouth Rots Teeth Costs Taxpayers. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and so one of the things that they said here is public health advocates point out a burden of cost imposed by the dew, which can be acquired with food stamps. Greater access to the drink and limited availability of dental care contributes to the Mountain Dew mouth, which is reinforced by cultural issues in the area. So this they're very appalled at the fact that you could purchase it with food stamps. And it basically... And this is this is an example from this blog, but I think just based on my research and just my anecdotal evidence that this is sort of the trend line that people establish is, oh, like, well, they just, you know, it's a cultural thing and people don't know any better and they, they don't care. So they, so they drink this Mountain Dew and they don't have any dentists around. So that causes their teeth to fall out because they've got poor oral care. Part of this is important because the lack of dental care aspect of it is very true and we're gonna talk about that here in a minute but just this explanation that it's due to ignorance is really i think troubling and i think it just it seeks to paint appalachians as stupid and not knowing any better not knowing that sugary beverages like mountain dew contribute to bad oral health i don't know that's the kind of shit that pisses me off yeah i mean it's one of those things that you look at it and go, can researchers be this dumb? And the answer is yes, unfortunately. I, I've, been, I've been in college situations where I've had to think of, off, you know, of things that I want to research and, and try to essentially come to a certain finding. Uh, most of the time, my findings were not conclusive. I'd like to see the actual full-on research that they did based off of this. I mean, it is Stanford, so woohoo. Uh, but it, it's one of those things. I think it's probably just people who are disconnected from this region who once again want to put a national stereotype into one region because it's an easy way to deflect from their own region having any problems. It's I'm actually, you know, I'm Googling it right now. Turns out Mountain Dew is sold all over the world and in all 50 states. So it can't just be an Appalachian problem if 
the amount of sales in this country, it, it, it honestly is an American problem if if we want to get down to it. Not an Appalachian problem, but Appalachia, little Appalachia, really easy to pick on, really easy to stereotype. And, it, you know, once again, this is one of them. The punching bag indeed. And one thing that was pointed out, and it was also alluded to in the title of the article, is that they're viewing the people who are having these oral health care problems, be able to have Mountain Dew mouth as a burden on the taxpayer. And so that's the approach that's being taken with this. And what is the way to alleviate that burden? Eliminating soda from SNAP benefits, which is the formerly known as food stamps. Now, John, I don't know about you, but I kind of feel like that's not getting at the root of the problem here. No, it's another way to blame people that it's easy to look at somebody who has a certain type of problem and say, this is all your fault and we should take this away and that will fix your problem. We're saving you from yourself is the argument. And it, it's politicians have done this for years where they get to belittle a certain group of people because at that time the majority of people like what they're saying and people on um, snap benefits people on quote-unquote welfare those are easy targets and they're huge targets for people who are running for office and who essentially i would argue are doing this research it's it's sad because no one wants to talk about the real issue um, and nobody wants to you know, really get down to to the nitty gritty of, of how do we fix this? Because crazy, crazy thing here, Chuck, in order to fix this, it'll cost money. I mean, that point blank. And instead of punishing people for or saving them from themselves, what they should do is look at the root of the problem and fix it that way. It actually, in the long run, may even save them money uh, if they actually gave people access to, to real dental care. Usually does. Yeah, that's that's a good point. And that's something that I think they fail to see with this because it's basically another example of blaming poor people for a problem that is more systemic. And it's just this quote that came out of that article um, was, and this is from a public health official, I think, is, quote, we are using taxpayer dollars to buy soda for the SNAP program, and we are using taxpayer dollars to rip teeth out of people's heads who can't afford dental care and are on Medicaid. Now, that's a convenient line, and it'll play pretty well, probably in conservative circles, at least ones that want to put limitations on entitlement spending. But like we said, it doesn't get at the root of the problem. So what is the root of the problem? Well, before we get to that, I do want to cite these interesting things that I found here, these interesting statistics. I, I And this is in a vacuum. It's not necessarily instructive, but I just thought it was interesting to kind of poke a hole in this whole like Appalachians. This is an Appalachian problem. Uh, this, again, not scientific, but Men's Health Magazine did this thing. It was called Fizz Free Towns, and it was a analysis of places where soda is unpopular. And Charleston, West Virginia made that list. In fact, none of the cities that were cited as top per capita soda consumers were located in Appalachia. And something that I, I pulled from a different study that I think, as you all will find, will be really important when we get into this discussion a little bit more is that high socioeconomic status and metropolitan locations, so financially comfortable and living in a bigger city, were highly correlated with good oral health. Again, shocker. So it's not just that it's centered in a certain region of the country just because we're Appalachians. It's got a lot more to do with systemic issues. But 
John, like we mentioned, the real problems here, one of them was actually mentioned in that study, so I will give it credit, and that was dental care access. And John, you've done a lot of traveling throughout the state, and you know West Virginia specifically very well. Is it fair to assume that dental health care is more hard to come by in Appalachia, a region that is more sparsely populated, that is more rural, than in other parts of the country like Washington, D.C., or New York, or Miami. Yeah, I, mean, I always compare it to, I group in dentistry with any type of rural medicine anymore because I think that they're all kind of in the same boat. And it's the question that every young person has to ask themselves and every professional has to ask themselves, and it's, why would I go here to make less money? You know, there if there's not a connection to the state, like, you know, I stayed in West Virginia because I was like, hey, West Virginia, in my opinion, needs people like me and that sounded really conceited and i'm glad it did because that's hilarious <laughs> but uh it, it needs young professionals is what i'm saying and it needs young people to stay in the state whenever you're looking around uh in appalachia rural medicine and dentistry and all of that is hard to come by and two chuck it's not a priority it, when uh, i don't know about you but like growing up for me being, you know, going to see a dentist was kind of elective care. It was one of those things that like, we didn't see it as a requirement. We didn't see it as something that would benefit us in the long term. One, that's a lack of education. And two, it's lack of money. Uh, really? I mean, I can remember my lack mom of insurance. Yeah. I mean, I can remember my mom, even with insurance, my mom would tell me, you know, if my tooth hurt, you know, bad enough, she'd say, okay, well, this is going to cost me $250. So it's, you know, it better really hurt is kind of the the message that I got and no fault of her own. It's a lot of money and it's extreme. It's getting extremely high in Appalachia because demand is, is kind of there. Like I said, not a huge priority, but the scarcity of dentists allow for prices to be manipulated by them and to go higher up. So in in general, yes, the, the, the answer to your question is yes, it's really hard to get, uh, dentist care in some of these areas, uh, and it's expensive. That's very true. And so I pulled some data on this, and you are correct, by the way. According to the federal government, more than 50 million Americans live in areas officially designated as dental health professional shortage areas, which in, involves them traveling sometimes hundreds of miles to get dental health care. And many of those places are in Appalachia. And so one of the comparisons that they made, and I, I haven't looked to see, I think Dickinson County, Virginia is in Appalachia, but regardless, it's a more rural county. So a suburb in Washington, D.C., John, has um, could have around one dentist for every 350 residents, while Dickinson County, Virginia has one dentist for every 15,468 residents. That's crazy. And so based on some data, and this is a little old, but I imagine it probably still holds up today. Based on some data from the Appalachian Regional Commission in 2007, there were 36% more persons per dentist in Appalachia than in the rest of the country. So more, like 36% more people than there were dentists in Appalachia than in the rest of the country. That's significant because that shows that there is it makes it so much harder for people to access dental care. And so if you can't go in for your annual checkup simply by the fact that you can't afford to drive that far and take an entire day off of work just to go to the dentist and pay more money, 
like how are you going to be able to have that extra care and how are you going to be able to take care of your teeth properly now there's a lot to be said about about you know personal responsibility with with taking care of your teeth but when you don't have access to healthcare especially in the early stages of a child's life it can be critical yeah i mean I, as somebody who has deals with with teeth problems with, because of a an issue with calcium uh i always get uh, I hate dentists. I, I have friends who are dentists. I, I apologize if they're listening. I, I hate going to them. I, I think that you have to be. We don't hate dentists on Appod Latch. In fact, if you're a dentist, uh, we really appreciate the work that you do. And we know it's a tough profession. And uh, and so shout out to you. Uh, not representing the show, representing myself. I hate dentists. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, uh, okay, I hate the the work that they have to do. I know it's great work, and I know it's stuff that has to be done, but it's obviously painful and sucks. And it's uh, I have to go all the time. It's terrible. But anyway, I think that there is there's multiple issues to this. There's the economic issue that we talked about. There's the rural issue that we talked about. I think there's also the the stigma that no one likes to go see doctors. Chuck, I mean, even people who have money or have insurance don't like to go and see. You know, Dennis, it's not a pleasurable thing. Uh, I avoid it at all costs. Uh, I don't know about you. Maybe you sit, you love to sit in the chair monthly. I don't know. Uh, I mean, I go when I have to, but, you know, I also have access to one and I have insurance that covers and, it. And, and that's the thing is like, obviously, you, you have the ability to go. For me, I have the ability to go, but I, I tend to, to wait until the last moment. <laughs> so I, I think there are multiple issues. And, arising from that. Absolutely. And insurance in particular, and just coverage in particular is one of those things. And I found this information really helpful because a lot of times poor people are the ones that were victims of the stereotype because of what we talked about with, with SNAP benefits and just kind of directing the blame to the individual. And so um, with Medicaid, in fact, it's really difficult to get dental care covered or to find a participating dentist. So private dentist participation in Medicaid is pretty challenging. And a study found that dentist participation, and this is a study of states in Appalachia that, that participated in data sharing, uh, dentist participation in Medicaid in Appalachia ranged from a low of no dentists in one of the states participating to a high of 44%. So in one of those states, I don't know which one it was, it didn't specify, but literally no dentist participated in Medicaid. So if you were on Medicaid, chances are you didn't have a lot of disposable income to pay for healthcare services outside of what was paid by Medicaid. And so if you were on Medicaid in that state in Appalachia, you just, you couldn't get it covered. You couldn't get covered by a dentist. You couldn't go see the dentist. And so that is just another huge factor of leading into this problem and this all revolves around this this problem and this stigma and this stereotype because when you break it down part of what we do with with covering stereotypes is not just like disproving them but breaking them down to the core and what is it really getting at and what's being misunderstood and right here what's being misunderstood is not just that people will run around drink mountain dew out of a two liter bottle it's the the entire region itself has a dental care crisis and lacks the proper access both financially and physically to see a dentist. Yeah. I mean, to me, this is not a geographic issue. This is a socioeconomic issue that people either at the top, you know, the politicians or 
people who live in other states, academics, things like that, like to point to a certain region and say, well, they have it the worst, so it's their problem. And they don't like to be grouped into it. I think it's, to me, it's almost like an embarrassment thing. They don't want to be a part of that. And so they, they try to to push it on us because they're bigger and they have a louder voice. And it's really sad that that happens. But this is this is all over the country, Chuck. This this is not a, a an Appalachian thing. I mean, do you know the the average price of getting a crown without insurance, Chuck? I have no idea. Five hundred to three thousand dollars. Oh my god. Yeah, and in markets like D.C., it can go up to five thousand dollars. We're for we a are, crown. <laughs> for a crown. Yeah, a root canal costs an average in the, in the United States of nine hundred dollars without insurance. These are not cheap. It is the reason why people will not go see a dentist. So if you have, I mean, what, the best average there was 44% of dentists uh, take Medicaid. So you have, what, at that point, 56% who say no. Yeah, that, if that's, that's, a, that's a high. Yeah, that's the highest. Right. right. So let's just take the highest there. If that 56%, which this is the likelihood, is that those dentists are around where you live and you one you already don't have the money and you certainly don't have the money to travel hundreds you know hundreds of miles down the road to make sure that you can see a dentist that accepts medicaid so or take the day off this, of work to be able to do that right i mean that that's the thing is like this is chug I, mean, I hate to admit this i i will admit it though cuz um you know growing up poor and and then looking at what i have now i can see the struggles that my mom had that I don't have anymore. And it, it blows my mind how people are able to get through that. I think it's, it's one of the toughest challenges that we face in America, but it is a challenge for the, for the country, not the region. It's something that the country has to, has to defeat. Uh, so we're at a point now where I think it's good that we're talking about this and we're, it's good that we're talking about the stereotype because shit, let them talk about, you know, Appalachians having bad teeth, right? It's a, it's a stereotype, but if that can lead to better access to dental care, maybe we get the right Senator. Maybe we get the right Congressman. Maybe we get the right Congresswoman to actually say, look, my region needs help. Let's get even more access with Medicaid, Medicare, all these different things. I mean, I think talking about the stereotype is only going to be the thing that pushes it forward. Absolutely. And, and sometimes access to dental care gets lost in that overall healthcare discussion, but it's a really important part, especially with, with younger people of their life, whether it be for this or for something like fixing crooked teeth with orthodontic uh, care, you know, it's, it's something that's really important. And it's something that I think has harmed the region from a stereotype standpoint. And I hope that, uh, I hope that people are listening to this can, gain a little bit more insight on this too because it's it's a silly and kind of dumb stereotype but it hints at a real problem and it's important that we acknowledge that problem and acknowledge what the real causes are and one of them is dental care access and with that the other big cause of these oral health care issues and the Mountain Dew mouth issues and all that is that there are poor drinking options to begin with in a lot of Appalachian towns, especially the small towns and especially the ones in coal country. Um, many Appalachian towns, particularly in West Virginia, Eastern Kentucky, rely on water, um, oftentimes well water. And 
and even if it's not well water, um, oftentimes that water has been contaminated by either mining runoff, industrial waste, worn out pipes, outdated infrastructure, and what have you. I mean, I can't tell you how many small towns in Tennessee that I would like, I'd speak to like some of their mayors or public officials, and they'd talk a lot about how their stormwater and their pipe infrastructure uh, for their water delivery was just old and outdated and decrepit. And so, those types of things, but especially like with the coal runoff and mining issues are, are contaminating a lot of people's water and either they're not drinking it or they are, and they're getting sick, but like the access to good drinking options is also limited in these places. So it's, it's something that really lends to that problem. I mean, imagine John not being able to like go to your sink or, you know, go to your fridge and get a glass of water and be able to drink it. Yeah. I mean, and even if we want to move past contamination, which is the obvious point, a lot of wells and a lot of, of water that's especially in rural areas doesn't contain enough fluoride. That's a major. That is a major issue that dentists have have cited as uh, a reason why people, especially rural people who don't have funds to either get a water line put into their house or have you know have to rely on uh, a well, they're not getting enough fluoride from their water. So even if they do have a reliable drinking source of water, it may not be up to the standard that they need. I, I found this really good article. Uh, strangely enough, it was in the New York Times about Appalachian. It was written by a guy named Ron Rash. I believe uh, he's from there. And so he's talking about this place in southeastern Kentucky. He said, Not County, K-N-O-T-T, lies in southeastern Kentucky, deep in Appalachian coal country. When I was there 15 years ago, I could taste the coal in the water. Today, you still can. Brent D. Hutchinson, who directs the Hinman Settlement School in Knott County, said of the water, quote, Some of it is brown. Some of it is yellow. Some of it smells like sulfur. We only drink filtered or bottled water in my house, just in case. At the school, we still serve only filtered or bottled water to our students and guests. And it's not just in Knott County. This year, after yet another water advisory 50 miles away in Martin County, one resident spoke of budgeting over $25 a month for bottled water in a, con in a county with a median household income of just $18,000. Yeah, I mean, this is something that we see all over the region. It Again, it's it's one of those things that if you look at the top, Appalachia is, is under underfunded in a lot of regions um, when it comes to these things. Until we fix that, we're going to continue to have the stereotype as a scapegoat. And it's a problem, and like the clean drinking water problem is something I've been really fired up about for a long time because in a lot of these coal communities, the coal slurries and runoff gets into the groundwater and it causes massive amounts of problems, not the least of which being water contamination. And, you know, like if you go back to that figure, $25 a month is a roughly, let's see, $300 a year. Is that right? I'm terrible at mental math. I think that's, yeah, yeah that's, yes, $300 a year. Uh, so that's $300 a year for someone making $18,000 median household income. I'm not good at doing the math on that, but John, that is a fucking huge chunk of of that money that's going to that. Yeah, I mean, and that's part of the, I guess the downfall is when we do have resources that come into the region. So for instance, um, USDA is actually doing a really good job of connecting 
uh, you know, sewer lines, water lines, and, and building up the region. The problem is when that happens, unless it's a 100% grant, which is kind of rare, you're going to have higher costs and because it comes out as a loan. And these are the things that, again, even with progress, we still continue to kind of accidentally take a step back for some people instead of moving two steps forward. So, you know, these are all things that we have to look at and we have to fix. I'll be interested to see what, you know, what really comes from what we're going to probably see in the next 20-ish years. Yeah, it's it's very true. And I think speaking of that, you know, we, we talk about all these things on this show and, you know, highlight a lot of these negatives about these stereotypes. And one thing we try to do at the end is come up with, okay, so like we're complaining about all this. What's the solution? And so what are the solutions for these? Well, John, I think you'd agree with me. Some of these are really simple. Increasing access to dental care is a huge thing. Incentivizing dentists to come to Appalachian work and accept Medicaid. These are, I say these are simple. They're simple concepts, but complex like issues to solve. Um, Yeah, really simple. Just wave a magic wand and fix Medicaid. Uh, but I mean, in some ways it is though, right? Like, like if you want people to be healthy and you want to have a thriving economy, I guess you could say, like incentivize people like dentists to come and work in West Virginia, in Kentucky, in Tennessee, Virginia, those places in Appalachia where they're experiencing these problems and, and let's fix this problem. I mean, and the other thing is is with the clean drinking water is we need some accountability both at the local level but also at the corporate level on this. When you have coal companies that are throwing their, their coal slurry shit into the local stream and not being held accountable for it, that's a huge problem. And when you have local officials that aren't that aren't fighting tooth and nail to get the money to fix their pipes, that's another problem too. So we, we need some like huge accountability measures with clean water. It is twenty goddamn 20 john and so many places in this country this country that we live in where wealth beyond measure and still there are people who can't turn their faucet on and get water that's clear you know it's it's unbelievable yeah i mean this is like everything else this is the root problem in appalachia States like West Virginia, Kentucky, parts of Tennessee, you have this brain drain that continues to happen. You have young professionals, maybe they even get their degrees in those states, who say, I can't stay here. It's kind of like what uh, what we talked about last week with David Morris, right? He always comes back to the state, but knew that he had to go in order to have real opportunity. And you kind of look around and you go, Man, he's right. There's no no way he's not right. But how do we fix that? How do we give our people real opportunity? And without incentivizing them, this will continue to happen. Because I can tell you this, the states have not proven that they can fix this problem. I mean, West Virginia's actually gotten a lot worse with it. Uh, they've, you know, they're driving young people out every day. So until we fix these problems, we're going to continue to have... I think even more health issues come up. I mean, and we haven't even talked about or, you know, we didn't even mention how, you know, dental problems can lead to death. You know, these are serious issues. I think, again, I think people look at dentistry and they think of it as non-essential or less than some of the other medical things that might be needed. 
That's not true. This can kill somebody. An infection can go through a bloodstream. You have a ton of different issues here. And the fact that we continue to not really be innovative in parts of Appalachia is killing this region. I agree. And this is something where raising awareness on this is really important. There's so many issues in so many places, including Appalachia, that stuff like this can often get swept under the rug, especially in poorer parts of these states where the political voices are not as big and the political power of the citizens aren't as big. So raising this issue is really important, and it's something that we're going to continue doing. And and we hope that you've found... Um, or we hope that you've you've gotten something out of this discussion and learned something about it and can tell other people. That closes out our discussion on the toothless slash Mountain Dew mouth stereotype. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you learned something about it. As I mentioned before, the Emperor of the 18 Husky himself, Iceman Big John Eisner, every week he comes at you with what gives him some gripe, what causes the hair on his head so few to fall out, the many on his chin to turn gray. It's that time again, ladies and gentlemen. It's Beef with Big John. Beef with Big John. This week's beef, I have to, I have to admit, there were plenty of options, Chuck. I mean, up until really the the point of recording, I was I was trying to pick th- through these beefs. I mean, I have so many problems going on right now, Chuck. But there was one that stood out for me, and I think it's an interesting one. This week, I've got beef with something and someone we've never had beef with before, Chuck. I got beef with a federal judge. Oh. A federal, uh, okay, well, perfect time to mention that we are not lawyers, um, and so if we get sued, it might cost us money, so. Here we go. U.S. District Judge William O., and I guess he wants the O said, I'm going to butcher, butcher this name, Bertelsman. William O. Bertelsman. He is a U.S. District Judge, and he had a federal case in Kentucky. He granted a preliminary injunction Monday. And he stopped, blocked, uh, who I like to call Governor Andy, because I think we're friends by now. I th- we've supported him, Chuck. Uh, the you know Kentucky governor, he enforced some travel bans that he wanted to put on uh, to stop the spread of COVID-19. And one of them was the ban of churches gathering in person. He was fine with like, tele, you know, what would you call them? Like telesermons, I guess. Uh, and you know, drive, drive in, um, sermons, things like that. But he had prohibited in-person church services. Well, this judge didn't agree. He actually said that this large group of people can essentially do whatever they want and they can have church during this problem. And I get it. Like Religious people should have the ability to worship no matter what they worship, right? But we also have to think about how people are going to continue to spread this virus because, I mean, let's face it, Chuck, when you're in a church, you're you're right next to people. I mean, there is no space whenever you have, especially these mega churches. That is a scary thing because we go all week of social distancing, of staying home from work, of doing all of these restrictions to have a group of people then 
congregate into one small space and essentially ignore all of the social distancing protocols. All this does is force us to continue to have these bans. That's the problem here. And I disagree wholeheartedly with this injunction. I don't think it was the right decision. I think that there, there could have been some leeway given to the governor. I'm, I guarantee that. I think the judge was, I mean, maybe he wants to be, you know, on the Supreme Court one day and wanted President Trump to look at him. It wouldn't shock me. So we're at a point now. It would shock you. I just need to interrupt. It would shock you. It shocked me a little bit because this motherfucker's 84 years old and he was originally appointed by Jimmy Carter. <laughs> and I, I, I do have to say, like, the, the judge obviously had the leeway to do this he points to constitutional rights that this could violate i get that but i don't believe it it went far enough to where it constitutes a complete injunction on what the governor was trying to do uh it's one of those things that is it's frustrating because as you and i both know chuck this will only force us to remain indoors this is only going to be a continuing to push us down the same road and people don't get that i don't understand why people do not understand that for me oh, I, I did not look up his age now that you say that the decision makes a little bit more sense to me uh just looking at the constitutional rights argument that he made it's it's uh it's a problem it's you know it's one of those things that is very frustrating. Like I said, a lot of beefs to pick this week, but felt like we should mention that because I think the people of Kentucky will want to know that too. I don't think that this was a highly publicized thing. So people of Kentucky may be driving by and seeing hundreds of cars, you know, at their local church and think what's going on. Yeah. Again, I always come back to the festering wound argument when it comes to stuff like this. It's like if you had a priest at a church full of a bunch of people and he was just bleeding out and just profusely squirting blood everywhere potentially on members of the congregation would it be reasonable to let that service continue my sense is probably not so this is kind of like that with the coronavirus and that it is an airborne it's spread through airborne particles molecules uh and and so i, I look at it like that and i think that you know it, it, this is all it, all these things are ridiculous because it's a lack of common sense and and it's just, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't think it's be it's restraining anybody's freedom to exercise religion by telling them that they can't congregate in large groups together. Yeah. And that, but that, that's my opinion. That, that That's my thing is if the governor was saying you can't have any services, then I would say, okay, he's obviously in the wrong you know, he's violating personal rights. But the fact that there was leeway that that's where I'm, I'm kind of confused on the ruling, but you know, that's neither here nor here. And on a, a non-serious side, but kind of serious, Chuck, I also have beef with Netflix. I think that they should do the humane thing and stop with the are you still watching feature because we're in quarantine, so we're still watching, Chuck. Uh, I, I did know that because I saw at John Eisner, West Virginia, tweet that earlier. Yeah, that's how angry I am. I can tell. I can tell. I mean, you should be, right? Come on, Netflix. It's time for these corporate entities to do the patriotic thing and rise to the task in pursuit of helping the world population. Netflix, balls in your court. Chuck, do you know who I don't have beef with this week? I, I, I don't know. Our new 
Patreon members. I got, That's I got no beef. That's right. None. In fact, we the opposite of beef. We have nothing but appreciation. We added a few. Uh, from from yeah, the last name episode. them off. We added name them off. we added Patrick. We added Anna, and we added her little girl Harper, who is getting an Apod Latcher shirt because they pledged fifteen dollars. Chuck, that's all you got to do. Ooh. That's all you got to do for a shirt. That's a pretty good deal. Pretty good deal. It's a uh, it's a uh, it's a good good price shirt. Um, you know, fits nice. Fits nice. Really, uh, vintage cut. And trust me, I mean, I'm, I am Big John. I would not lead you to an uncomfortable shirt. I, I promise. No. There's no way I wouldn't God be able no. to, wouldn't be able to live my life. Uh, being, being no. a big guy, you got to have comfortable shirts, Chuck. It comes with the territory. It does it certainly does. Big John, big shirt. He knows what he's talking about. If you want one of those, you can go on to our link in the show notes to our Patreon, Patreon.com/slash/AppodLatcha, and make that pledge. And you'll get a shirt. Anyway, so check that out. It'll be in the show notes. And thank you for listening. And we'll be back. We'll be back next week with more Apod Latcha. And thank you for listening. And remember, you can always follow us on social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. And check out our Patreon and email us if you have anything that you'd like us to know. Apodlatcha at gmail.com. Thanks. We'll see you next week. Bye.